the team is so important to doing the show and our supporters like we have for now playing are really vital to the consistency but listener feedback if it wasn't for people engaging with us and taking part in the conversations i don't know that that would be a lot of fun if it just was a few people behind microphones week after week i think that after 12 years of podcasting the fun would kind of fall out of it welcome to podcasting smarter the podcast for and by podcasters we interview podcasters for the real scoop on podcasting whether you're thinking about starting a podcast or have been podcasting for years, you'll find lots of inspiration, valuable lessons, and tips in our interviews. This podcast is brought to you by Podbean. Please visit podbean.com, the home for podcasters. Hello, podcasting friends, and welcome back to another episode of Podcasting Smarter. I am really excited to be joined today by Arnie Carvalho. He is the host, producer, and editor of the Now Playing Podcast, which is also the flagship show of the Venganza Media Podcasting Network. We are going to talk to him about running a network and having a successful show. Welcome to Podcasting Smarter, Arnie. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm super excited to have you. I have a lot to talk to you about um, about podcasting because you have a bit of a a media empire with your <laughs> podcast, and I kind of want to know how it all started. Well, it started in 2005. We were I was trying to start a Star Wars site. I'm a Star Wars collector, and I had been t thinking about starting a collecting site for a long time and I got listening to podcasts and I realized there were no podcasts about Star Wars collecting and it was literally on a whim. I was a computer programmer and a bit of a tech so I had all the equipment in my house, not great equipment but some equipment and so on one Sunday when I had nothing else to do I said we're going to start a Star Wars collecting podcast and the first one out there. And so we started that in 2005, and it really hit with Star Wars collectors. It was Star Wars Action News, still running now, 12 years later. And then we were contacted by a company called Master Replicas to do their official podcast, talking about their high-end collectibles and prop replicas and doing interviews with people like Walter Koenig from Star Trek to talk oh, yeah. about some of their Star Trek stuff and things. And so at that point is when we incorporated and became their official outlet and started also spinning up some other shows. And I just want to start at the very top by saying there's no way we could do everything we do without the team we have working on these shows. We have a great team of editors, video editors, hosts, photographers, graphic designers. It really, a lot of people came on board in those early years, website designers that really took us from being a couple of people who had mics that came with our sound blaster sound cards into being a production I could be really proud of. I have very high standards. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And so I think that first year was a tremendous one. Let me go back to 2005 with you because you were obviously an early adopter of the podcast platform. So what was it like when nobody or it seemed like nobody else was podcasting? How how did uh, you get people? How did you get listeners and how did you tell people about what you were doing? There were some Star Wars podcasts I was listening to. And there was one from Canada called Star Wars Undirect. There was one 
about a Star Wars video game called Star Wars Galaxies with Yivitz and Mr. Bubble. And so I was listening to a lot of Star Wars podcasts, movie podcasts, human interest podcasts. I was consuming all the podcasts I could because at my job, I could have my headphones in eight to 10 hours a day. And so when I decided to start my own, the very first night, I reached out to a lot of the Star Wars websites I visited and to those other Star Wars podcasts and said, hey, we have a Star Wars collecting podcast. And one of the people I reached out to was Nathan Butler, who has since become a great friend of mine. And he had a site called Star Wars Fanworks that cataloged all Star Wars. They weren't even really called podcasts back then. He was calling them fan audio productions. Uh, because podcasting was still relatively new. And so I was surprised. I thought, you know, you break out a couple mics, you start your own podcast. You, I thought maybe if we got 12 listeners, I'd be happy. We had hundreds in the first week because those sites were so great about posting, hey, there's a new collecting podcast out. And they were also good about giving us feedback, like get better microphones. So the very second week that we did that show, we had a platform, we had an audience, and it grew from there. And we got to tour Lucasfilm, Steve Sansweet, who has the largest Star Wars collection in the world and worked for Lucasfilm, invited us and gave us a tour of that place. And we started covering conventions and really doing interviews with Star Wars authors and Star Wars actors. And we focus on collecting, but it became a great way to really get involved in the greater Star Wars community, hosting parties at the Star Wars celebration conventions and really getting to know our listenership. Wow. It's like, a, it sounds like a dream come true. Your whole podcasting experience sounds amazing. Thank you. I so, got to say it is, you know, I've, I went to school with the thought of going into film. My goal in life has been to entertain people. Be it, you know, I was looking at film and then I went to grad school looking at being a game designer. I really just wanted people to have a something that entertained them, informed them and took their minds off of things once in a while. And I'm so happy to have been able to do that. Yeah, that's that sounds like the dream to me. So it sounds like from the very beginning, you took this very seriously. And, you know, you mentioned putting a great team together and having high standards. Um, and it sounded like even from the beginning, you approached it with, in a very businesslike manner. And I'm just I'm wondering how quickly you were able to monetize your um your vision for this podcasting network um it's was it was rather quick that star wars action news being a collectibles focus show was approached by online stores for advertising purposes and we didn't necessarily monetize per se but there was some trade agreements where we'd get review product in exchange for mentioning it's really when we started doing the official podcast for master replicas that some true monetization came in and we started looking at it as a business instead of as a hobby that we just took very seriously. But I will say monetization of podcasts has been incredibly challenging, especially since I find that a lot of the online advertisers do those affiliate programs, which want you to click specific links, which is hard because we're an audio podcast that mm -hmm. goes out primarily through podcatcher software. Still, our number one download platform is iTunes. And so you then have to say, 
not only go and buy this product, but please go to this website first and then click this specific link and then go buy the product. It's you get listener advocates, which I just absolutely love, or the listeners who become fans and really want the show to succeed, who will do that. But that is challenging. And also, I don't want just any advertising on our show. I don't want to advertise something we don't necessarily endorse. I don't want my voice there saying, go buy this face regeneration cream if I don't actually <laughs> believe in it. And so mm -hmm. I've been very selective and I've turned down a number of advertising opportunities because I didn't believe in the product. Well, good for you. And I think that's a smart move. <laughs> So I noticed that you have a combination of premium and free content, at least with the uh, the Now Playing podcast. And so I was wondering how that works for you. That's worked very well. Now Playing was a movie review show that we started. It's We're in our 10th year now. We had our 10th year anniversary just last May. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's one that I never did advertising for. I didn't want any situation where we could have an opinion swayed by advertisers. And in 2010, our listenership for Now Playing really grew. Star Wars Action News was our flagship show for many years, but Now Playing being a broader topic than just niche Star Wars collecting really found an audience. And I had to upgrade our servers many times. I had to move our shows from host to host because we kept needing more bandwidth, more storage space. And so, one of the members of our team suggested crowdfunding it and looking to the listenership itself in order to monetize the show. And I didn't know if that would work. And I was a little nervous about it, honestly. I was afraid that opening up listeners to donate for the show would give them a sense of ownership over the show and start saying what we can and can't say, can and can't do. But we did try it way back in 2010 and did a special series of movie reviews just for donors. And it was a modest success. It worked pretty well. We do a lot of listener surveys to get their feedback. And the feedback primarily was, we'd be okay with you guys doing this a couple times a year. And so we kind of took on a PBS model is how I look at it, where, you know, you on PBS, you watch the shows, the operas, Sesame Street, what have you. But a couple times a year, they do their pledge drives to keep PBS going apart from the public funding. We don't have any public funding, but we do these pledge drives where people donate to our show. And that's something I've been handling by hand manually for six years. And we ended up with a vast back catalog of locked content that was only available for a short time because when processing it by hand, we couldn't offer a la carte or anything like that. And so last year, I really started looking for options that we'd be able to do something similar and maybe because it is our 10th year, bring out all those shows that people haven't been able to hear for years. Like our Jaws review, we didn't, we did that way back in 2011 and people haven't been able to hear it. And then I came upon Podbean as an option and the options you guys had was better than anything that I'd seen anywhere else in the ability to offer individual shows for a certain amount as well as offer subscriptions to entire catalogs as well as offer the patron funding campaign where people can donate monthly. And so we've tried that this year and it's been really successful. Just the day we're recording this, our fourth patron exclusive review, the movie Monster Trucks is going <laughs> out. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, I imagine that that premium content and being able to to have individual episodes uh, as premium episodes really works well for you because you don't want to pollute this particular podcast with with sponsors. And you said why? Because you don't want it to appear that you are swayed in any way about your with your reviews based on sponsors. So yeah, I can see how that's a, a really great solution for the Now Playing podcast. So this is more of a, a question about content and, and how to make it successful, because there are a lot of movie review podcasts. So I'm wondering if you're giving a podcaster advice and they're doing a podcast in a field that's pretty crowded, um, how do you manage to stand out and um, compete in a, in a genre of podcast that's really popular? That's always a challenge. And it's one that I still look at because I'd still like to continue to grow our audience and not plateau where we're at. And I think one of the keys is perseverance. I think that people find you by having a catalog of shows. We've been doing this for 10 years, as I've said. And so we've reviewed a lot of popular movie franchises. And I still get emails from people who found us through a show that we did seven years ago. One advantage to what we do with now playing, reviewing movies and doing individual episodes based on individual movies is it's what I consider evergreen content. People can listen to our review of Friday the 13th Part 8, and it's relevant any time that they go and rent or buy Friday the 13th Part 8 or want to revisit that movie. So I think that's something that helps versus being, say, a news show, which is what several of our other podcasts are, Star Wars Action News and Marvelicious Toys. Those are collecting shows, but they're very news-focused. These new toys are coming out. These new exclusives are there. That's relevant for a few months, and people do go back and listen just because they love the toys or they enjoy listening to the hosts. But having this content that is always relevant, discussions of movies, and I've listened to many about television shows and things. We're doing our own Twin Peaks show as well right now. That it's having that content there means people can find you whenever they are. I also think consistency and release is so key. The fact that People can look forward to you like a television show where they can know every Tuesday there's going to be a new podcast. I did some math. We have not not released a show for free on Tuesday in well over 300 weeks that we never took a holiday off, be it Christmas, New Year's. If it was a Tuesday, we had a show. Wow, that is impressive. Now, do you do you do this full time now? Uh, it is a full-time job, but I also have another full-time job. <laughs> oh, so how, okay, it must be, it must come down to your team, I imagine, because I'm thinking this is a lot of work and to make those Tuesdays for 300 weeks, that can't be easy every single week. No, there's late nights, but it is an incredible team of people that all do treat this very professionally. It's that they know the deadlines, they know the standards and they live up to it. and. I just, the editors, the co-hosts, everybody takes on multiple hats too. The co-hosts are involved in the scheduling and involved in some of the social media promotion. And we've got people who, again, the fans who, who evangelize our shows and go out there and spread the word about them and say, hey, you guys really need to listen to this review of Baby Driver. It's a really insightful review. Hopefully they'll say that when it comes out. It's, you know fact checkers to make sure that what we're putting out is correct. Just an, an 
incredible team. I can't thank each and every one of them enough. I could sit here and spend several minutes listing them person by person in their role, but just I appreciate and thank them so much. We literally couldn't do this without them. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, I'm I'm just wondering how how you maintain a team that is so dedicated. Are you able to pay them? Are they just equally passionate about what you're doing and they believe in the long-term vision? What is it? Because I know other podcasters have a tremendous time, you know, with trying to coordinate editors and people to do show notes. And it's it's always a, a bit of a challenge uh, to get everything done with a team um, and developing a team. So how how have you done that? You know, each show is its own entity here. So the shows that when the show makes money, everybody who works on that show gets money. Got it. So it's one of those things where if like we have some smaller shows that we aren't even attempting to monetize and the people who work on that are just enthusiastic for that show. But then, yeah, when we have things like donation drives that are successful, we pay our staff to for the work that they do. It's like a joint venture. It's a, you know, we all work, we're all in this together. Nice. I, I like that. All right. So in your opinion, what makes a good podcast? I'd say honestly, and I do a lot of the editing, but I would say a good podcast is something that is well edited because I know when I'm listening to podcasts, one of the things that can take me out, you could have the funniest person in the world or the most insightful person in the world. But if that podcast is full of lip smacks and long ums and long pauses or background noise, all of that, it ruins the listening experience. I think you have to have an inviting listening experience and show that you care about your product enough to edit it and spend the time editing it so that other people will care enough to spend the time listening to it. I think that's good advice, but it's also a controversial opinion because I don't know if you've hung out in any of the various podcasting groups, but this subject comes up quite a bit about, you know, whether to edit or not edit our shows over edited. Do should we take out all the ums and ahs or um, is it appropriate to have a, a bit of a organic, uh, natural vibe to the show? So I hear this. I hear this topic bantered around a lot. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a right answer, you know, because it is subjective for the listener anyway. Um, I'm kind of with you. I, I like a nice, a nice cleaned up podcast myself. <laughs> I think it needs to sound natural. You know, when I work with our editors, I say, if it sounds like an edit, if you can tell there's something unnatural there, then that's a bad edit and it shouldn't be done. If somebody says, um, and you can't take it out because I've learned so much about human speech by editing and looking at waveforms and people run their words together. And so you get a lot of and um, which you just can't separate out very well if it sounds unnatural. And I think there should be some natural flow. You shouldn't alter people's natural speech patterns and things like that. You should sound like yourself. But lip smacks, things like that, just things that aren't natural because they're amplified by microphones. You know, if I'm having a conversation on stage and we've done several live performances across our shows, it's going to be a different situation because that's live. People are hearing you. But when you're a podcast, you're going into a microphone that's going to pick things up differently. You might pop your peas. You might have some sibilis. 
And then people are listening to you out of speakers that are going to have different equalization settings. And sometimes a harsh inhale can be just like fingernails on a chalkboard coming out of a car stereo. So I just think you need to have naturalism. How much you edit is very personal. But I I think the people who just sit down, record, and they don't even listen to what they record. They're like, it's done. Put credits on and put it out. Those are shows I don't end up listening to in the long run. Yeah. Okay. So you said uh, people that don't listen back to the recording. So this is something I feel very strongly about. I always listen back to my podcasts a couple of times, and I think it helps be a better podcaster if you listen back to yourself. Do you do the same thing? Absolutely. No show goes out that I haven't heard. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Here's another question. How many people can be on a podcast at one time? I, I've done shows with 12 people on them and it worked out. It's, you know, you have a lot of those shows are very heavily edited as people try to get their time in to speak and things. And I cut out any over talk and make sure it's almost like you pass the talking stick around and you can have a lot of different voices there. I think that consistency in hosts is for the shows I do, and everything's a little bit different. I mean, I absolutely love listening to Apple's podcast where they do in-depth profiles or interviews with different people. But for the kind of shows I do where I'm relaying news or giving reviews, having host consistency really helps. But sometimes having large roundtable shows, some of those have been some of the most insightful. I did a show for about a year called the Star Wars Action News Book Club. We'd have 10 or 12 people on all discussing a book. And that's a way to get viewpoints you would never get otherwise. Nice. That's a good point. So you mentioned that you do live shows and it sounds like you do a lot, not just behind the mic, but you you have sort of um, offline connection with your audience. Uh, Do you do other things other than live shows? Do you go to conferences, that sort of thing? Well, for Star Wars Action News and Marvelicious Toys and to a degree now playing, We go to a number of the multimedia conventions. San Diego Comic-Con is, of course, the big one, but several Wizard World conventions. Lucasfilm hosts Star Wars Celebration conventions. And so we go to all of those. We get to meet our listeners face-to-face. We have, for for five years, we ran these uh, Star Wars fan breakfast at San Diego Comic-Con, where up to 200 people could come. The last couple of years of that, we were supporting uh, Rancho Obi-Wan, a charitable foundation for Star Wars collectibles. And so we were doing a charity breakfast there and getting a chance to meet our listeners and host events. We hosted parties at several of the Star Wars celebrations in the last couple. We had some dinners that hosted 100 plus people. Our last full celebration party had something like 400 people. These are still you know, these are medium sized gatherings is what I'd call it. It's not filling Hall H at San Diego Comic-Con, but it's where you can actually get a chance to talk to people and have a party and have a good time. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, not only is it fun, Arnie, but you realize that a lot of podcasters, I would probably say most podcasters just stay behind the mic. They're not going to their audience. And I think that's probably a really good move um, in terms of connecting on a deeper level with your listeners. Yeah, I, I like getting out there. I like meeting the listeners. I completely mean this when I say the team is so important to doing the show and our supporters like we have for now playing are really vital to the consistency. 
But listener feedback, if it wasn't for people engaging with us and taking part in the conversations, I don't know that that would be a lot of fun. If it just was a few people behind microphones week after week, I think that after 12 years of podcasting, the fun would kind of fall out of it. It's the communities around the shows, be it on Facebook, Twitter, our forums, or in person, that really keeps this exciting and fresh. Yeah, that's got to be a lot of fun. Uh, have it, just having a community that is engaged and involved. But how do you keep up with it? I mean, I know you you work a full time job, and this is full time. But actually, you know, engaging with your community on on all the social media channels takes a lot of effort. So is that is that also a team effort in terms of you know handling your social media and making sure that that you're there responding to all of the engagement that's coming in for your shows? Absolutely. I'd say that I'm probably at the hub of it. I do a lot of it myself, but there's a gentleman, Jason from uh, Las Vegas, who does a lot of our social media stuff for us. But everybody on the shows takes part and makes posts and engages with our listeners there. And so we have quite a few you know, people, we have to sign our posts on the Facebook pages so people know exactly who's posting what at which time. But it is completely, again, a community deal on our part. Do you happen to use any sort of social media management tool since you have so many people working on your social media? I don't. I know Jason uses something like Hootsuite to do some of the Twitter stuff that he does for us. But I personally... I've played with it a little bit. I love Facebook's ability to schedule posts, but that's about all. Okay. Do you use any other tools or apps that help you in your podcast production? Um, As far as podcast production, I primarily use open source stuff. We use Audacity to record. We are geographically disparate, but everybody records locally in Audacity. We primarily connect over Skype, but then with the locally recorded shows, we don't have any of the warbling or the lag that Skype gives. And so we edit those together using Audacity, the open source program. We use several open source plugins for that. MP3 tag is something I love to actually tag the shows before we upload them. And the Podbean online interface has been also very helpful versus having the uh, FTP and things like that to manage our XML files and such. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. I, I love I love that. I love all of that. Okay. So I have a question for you. What does the next five years look like for you? That's a really interesting question. Um, I know that it's going to be exciting. Now Playing has our first book coming out in the no next way. couple of months. We, a book? Yeah, we did a Kickstarter a couple years ago for a book of 125 movie reviews. It's called Underrated Movies We Recommend. And it's 125 movies that we feel either got critically drubbed or didn't get the love they deserve. And we were able to put a book together of that. And we've been working hard on that book for actually two years. It was a lot more work than we imagined. It has a forward by movie director John Carpenter. And so we're really excited about that. And so that book is we just yesterday put the finishing touches on the final draft and it's going to galley printing. Now we're just going to review the hard copies and then we get to send all those out to the people who pre-ordered and to the people who backed our Kickstarter. And that's available through our website at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, the physical books. It takes a little while to print. They should be shipping in the fall. The eBooks should be ready next month. 
And so the getting that book out there and being able to talk about 125 movies that we haven't talked about on the show and we don't think would ever necessarily fit into the show's weekly format is really exciting for us. I'm I'm anxious to see how our audience reacts to that. I, I want to see how a listener audience does with a physical book, and I want to see how book audiences may do coming to the podcast, although I know our podcast audience is very hungry. We're going to do an audio book format of that once it's in its final form as well. And so people who listen to podcasts can listen to our book and hear our voices review these movies. And so that's very exciting. And we're looking at, we're doing more shows this year than we ever have before because of the various things through, honestly, Podbean. The patron campaign means we're doing an extra show a month for the patrons only. And then we still have our two pledge drives per year where we're putting those shows out and plus our weekly show and then all the other shows we're doing. It's a matter of, you know, you you talk about busyness. It's hang on to your hats and plunge in. I'm looking so forward to what this year has to offer. And five years from now, it's so hard to say. I, I didn't expect this year to be as tumultuous as it was, but it was great. And so we just kind of look forward optimistically and know that we're all very committed to the projects and hope our listeners are committed to listening. Well, I actually literally got goosebumps while you were telling me about the book because I was thinking back to 2005 when you started as just a passionate Star Wars collector with your one podcast. And now you have have a multimedia dynasty (laughs) and a community and a team and a a really exciting life and things that are growing and developing and income coming in from your passion. And I can't imagine that any podcaster listening to this is not going to be incredibly inspired to up their game with their own podcast. (laughs) So congratulations on everything. That is really, really impressive. All right. So I have a couple of uh, fun questions I ask at the end of all of my uh, podcast interviews. If there was a podcast produced about your life, Arnie, what would it be called? Four Shot Mocha No Sleep. <laughs> Love it. Four Shot Mocha No Sleep. I will definitely be your first listener. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could choose anyone, anyone living or dead, to have a podcast, who would it be? Mark Twain. Oh, Mark Twain. Okay. We haven't had a Mark Twain suggestion yet. So that is a great one. His his views. I always just laugh at how timeless his views are and his witticisms. And so I think he'd be somebody I could listen to week after week. Nice. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Podcasting Smarter. We are all smarter podcasters because of what you've just contributed. Thank you so much, Arnie. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us for Podcasting Smarter. You can check our show notes at podcast.podbean.com for links and details. Please like our podcast, leave your comments, and help us spread the word to other podcasters so we can bring you more great episodes with podcasting tips and inspiration from fellow podcasters. If you want to connect with other podcasters or get interviewed on this podcast, please join our Podcasting Smarter Facebook group. We look forward to welcoming you to the community. Happy podcasting.